I was raised in India. My father's Indian, my mom's Dutch. And my mother was an Indophile. So she was really very immersed in the culture and in particular, very impressed by people who live close to the ground. Esther Gokhale, creator of the Gokhale Method of Primal Posture, a system for relieving back pain and other issues by adopting traditional forms of walking, sitting, and bending. The vegetables and fruit sellers in the street carrying very large loads on their head without any problems. And she would point these things out to us kids. Esther created the Go Clay Method three decades ago after a surgery and many other therapies failed to heal her own back pain while pregnant with her second child. You know, here I am in my mid-twenties falling apart. There's something very wrong with this picture. 30 years later, over 20,000 individuals have learned to sit, walk, bend, and also sleep more efficiently by adopting the GoClay method, which now offers a posture tracking app. We've used another wearable five sensors that go on the back to help people know what the shape of their spine is and how it's changing over time. Stanford University is embarking on a long-term study of the GoClay method. That's after hundreds of doctors, nurses, and PTs have learned the system and recommended it to patients, most often for back pain. So we'll speak to a spine specialist who's also trained in the fundamentals of the GoClay method. Uh, DJ Kennedy, I am professor and chair of the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. And Dr. Kennedy introduces the method to his medical students. I think she paints a picture that makes a lot of sense intuitively. And she's also going about trying to get the data to prove it. Esther Goclay and the Goclay Method on My Body Odyssey, a show about the rewards and challenges of active lifestyle, and a close look today the primal posture system which may be positioned for wider adoption in our modern medical system. I'm Robert Pease, here with Brittany Thomas. Hey Rob, good to be here. And I'm interested to hear more about Esther's story because she's clearly an expert on posture and movement, and she also has her own story of back issues. Yeah, back issues really, really triggered the method. She was in her 20s, she's pregnant with her second child, and decides against a second back surgery because the first one didn't help her. Mm, yeah. I can't imagine being pregnant in serious pain and moving slowly and thinking, no, I got this. It does take a lot of confidence to do that. So I asked Esther, where did that confidence come from? Well, a couple of things, you know, positive things and negative things. I mean, the negative things, I had exhausted all the possibilities that I knew about, conventional and alternative. You know, I had done one surgery in addition to physical therapy, chiropractic, acupuncture, massage, yoga, stretching, strengthening, checking my head. You name it, I had tried it. And here I was in big trouble all over again. So I know from the last episode, Esther's not an MD or a PT, but she does have a science background, right? Yeah, she does have, I guess you'd say, a, a science foundation, an academic background. And she must have built on that in developing the method. I also happen to be 
savvy in anatomy. I took anatomy with the Stanford medical students, and I know that you know you're weakening the structure. You're having to to get to the site. You have to remove some muscle tissue, and you're carving away bone, and you're weakening the structure with every subsequent surgery. Growing up in India, Esther studied classical dance and practiced yoga and developed body awareness. And she also observed the people around her. Yeah, and that came from her mother, who she describes as an Indophile. She was actually Dutch. They were living in India. She pointed out the slightly built people carrying not very slight loads without great effort. And that came back to her in this period of back pain when she's unable to even lift her infant child. And I also was drawn to methods that study other cultures, you know, because of that early upbringing, because of my mother's perspective. And so I was drawn to things like Alexander Technique, who made notes of indigenous, of aborigine footprints and such. Explaining some of the basics of his technique. He had discovered the necessity of poise, of using the full height and lengthening in stature as a basis for all activity. Breathing, circulation, and digestion. And most especially Noel Perez, who did a lot of work with Iyengar, whose body is like textbook correct for teaching this posture method from. I was very influenced by her work. I immersed myself in studying her method and made progress. And then my own background is very scientific. I was trained in biochemistry at Harvard and Princeton and logic and science is very important to me, both because, you know, when things become a little cultish or metaphysical, that doesn't hold water the same way for me. I've heard of Iyengar from yoga practice, but I don't know much about Noel Perez. Yeah, we had to do a little research there. Perez was an early student of Iyengar. He's the teacher in India who made yoga safer, more accessible by breaking postures down into simpler parts. There's also quite a bit of blanket folding involved. But anyway, that was in the 1920s and 30s. Perez later directed the Aplomb Institute in Paris for several decades, promoting spinefulness or functional posture to its clients. So would you say that yoga is a part of the Gokhale method? I guess I would say... They're really different methods, but maybe some common principles. I'm no expert. I did read her book, Eight Steps to a Pain-Free Back, some years ago. Just reviewed it again. And that title sounds like so many other self-help books, but it's really a remarkable book. Still in print after 15 years. It sold over 300,000 copies. Yeah, it's a beautiful book with lots of images. And she talks a lot about body wisdom. There's this one photo that I really like of a baby. She's being carried by her mom in a back wrap. And she's almost absorbing from her mom that posture and learning right away in life what good posture is. Yeah, the book's part anthropology, part biomechanics. I also went to an introductory workshop that Esther taught at the Kripalu Institute, the yoga center. And that was something like the Go Clay in-person elements course offered by certified method teachers small groups of people working on these core techniques, glide walking, stretch lying, hip hinging. Glide walking sounds kind of fun. How would you describe it? What is glide walking? 
Well, I would describe it by analogy. If you think about how a sprinter comes out of the blocks. We're going to take one step like this, okay? And, and the way the legs accelerate to the side or the way a skater accelerates. If you use your glutes like that with every step. Glide walking is a little like that. Don't walk linear. Don't walk like a stick figure. You glide to the right and then to the left. That is gluteus medius, and you would like it to work with every step you take. It helps land softly, among other things. It helps keep the pelvis stable. It does a lot of things. It helps your legs externally rotate. Sounds kind of like a superpower. I'm going to try to glide walk all the way to work today. All of the GoClay Method's principles, like glide walking, stack sitting, hip hinging, they're introduced in the GoClay Method online fundamentals course, or through classes or consults in person with a certified teacher. But in both cases, the method doesn't throw a lot of new postures or exercises at you like yoga does, like physical therapy does. The focus is everyday positions, everyday movements. So focusing on sitting and standing and walking can add up to hours of reconditioning every day. Like basically you're doing one of those things all day long. Does the GoClay method address just back issues or other problems as well? Other issues too. There's a lot about hips. They do emphasize the sort of interconnectedness of the body. But back pain is the most common. So I played a clip about back pain from one of our protagonists, Larry, that we met up at the Nordic Ski Marathon in Craftsbury, Vermont. I remember Larry, really enthusiastic guy, maybe in his 50s. He loved cycling, tennis, cross-country skiing, but had back spasms too. Like I do, and they're absolutely miserable. We talked to other people at other events who have them, head of the Charles Regatta, tennis tournaments. They're not uncommon and also not very well understood, but everyone describes something very similar to Larry. Well, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's sort of out of nowhere. What happens is... You know, if my body's in such a way, all of a sudden I can feel my back went out of whack and, and I have a problem. Yeah. And it just sometimes it takes a week to get better and sometimes it just gets worse. And what was Esther's take on Larry? Well, first off, she said, there's a lot we don't know about backs. You know, he's just pointing out how much is in the unknown when it comes to musculoskeletal stuff. You know, he uses language like comes out of nowhere and the back went out of whack and some one week to get better, sometimes it gets worse. You know, there's just a huge territory of unknown. And that's at every level in modern industrial society. Even our medical practitioners, 85% of lower back pain is because of what's the euphemism? Non-specific. Back pain, yeah? We sure don't learn much from those office visits. But Esther's feeling is that Larry's spasms may actually not be so mysterious. It just indexes how little we understand about the musculoskeletal system. You know, muscles just seemingly out of nowhere go into spasm. Well, I'm going to venture that it's not out of nowhere, that they have very good reason to go into spasm. And very often what they're doing for us is 
preemptive, you know, like protection. You know, we don't know what's going on. We're flinging our bodies around this way and that. But the brain gets messages, whoa, Nelly, this is coming really close to pinching some nerve or squeezing some disc. Let's protect our dude by spasming, you know, so that we stop him in his tracks because otherwise he's going to do some real damage. Yeah, lying on the floor for a week, that is pretty good protection. That sounds rough. She's also making an important point there about different types of pain. Some pains caused by injury and some to prevent further injury. Bodies are wise that way, or at least sometimes. Yeah, and that some of the time is really critical because if the body doesn't speak up, some serious issues go unannounced. That's very much the case with Yogi Jess from her season one episode. She's the yoga teacher with thoracic outlet syndrome, or TOS. That's a life-threatening condition with no painful symptoms. I first learned about TOS from Jess. It's where the top rib in the clavicle can pinch a vein and cause a blood clot. And a blood clot can cause an embolism or a stroke. It's rare, but potentially really serious. TOS often affects people with hypermobility, like yogis or swimmers, as Jess was in college, or baseball pitchers. Played this clip for Esther, where Jess receives, first of all, the bad news she does have TOS, and secondly, the recommendation from her doctor to remove her top rib. And I was like, well, don't I have muscles that attach to that? Isn't that kind of important? He was like, yeah, but they'll be fine unless you need to take a really big, deep breath. I'm like, well, I'm a yoga teacher and I go on big hikes. So yes, that's important to me. Esther has a very similar mindset to Jessica regarding surgery when it's presented as a first and only option. So someone like Jess, I mean, I think she's lucky that she was warned ahead that a deep breath would be a problem and that that, you know, sort of gave her pause because I think just having surgery, you know, is already, it gives a lot of pause, right? There's a lot of potential downside. There's risk. There's scar tissue that can form. And you really do want to explore every other option before you do surgery, in my view. There's some similarities between Esther and Jess's stories. Esther decides against that second back surgery and develops the Gokley method. Jess also decides against surgery and manages the issue through her own yoga practice and some PT. Do we really have to say, don't try this at home, without all the knowledge and body awareness that Esther and Jess have? Should also disclaim here, obviously most surgeries are necessary and helpful. Many are downright miraculous. But as both Jess and Esther point out, there's always some damage in the process of cutting and stitching. And there's another similarity here. Jess didn't just focus on the small area around the top rib to lessen the friction. She looked at her entire posture which is exactly what Esther recommended. Now, you know, Jess being a yoga teacher has unusually many pegs in her brain to learn new things and to do explorations to address particular muscles and relax them and so on. I wish she had our knowledge of what to do lower in the body, in the pelvis, for example, that would set the upper body up for success, where she wouldn't have to be constantly paying attention to relaxing a certain muscle or pulling the upper body back 
you know, she really needs to pay attention to the entire body and understand why this happened in the first place. Over several decades now of instruction, Esther Gokhale has observed the importance of alignment, regardless of a person's age, flexibility, or fitness level. Even in yogis, even in ballet dancers, even in athletic people, the physics of the building block stack is wrong when the pelvis is tucked. It makes a lot of sense, stacking from the ground up, thinking about the foundation of the body. And just sitting here now, I'm sort of thinking more clearly about how I'm sitting to untuck my pelvis. Esther calls it stack sitting. Uh, Rob, tell us about that. What is stack sitting? A very important part of stack sitting is to position your pelvis well. Well, the thing that helped me from reading the book, from going to the workshop, is to sit like babies do. You want it tipped forward or anteverted. But behind you, that's a firm foundation for the upper body, so there's no slouching, but also no tension. One way to achieve that is to use a wedge. And Esther also talks about imagining that you have a tail. With your tail out behind you. Um, so you're sitting, you have a tail, and you need to leave space for it and not smush it. And then I find a place where I I'm can imagining like a good fluffy tail, like a fox. Hip hinging and finding a sweet Yeah, these images or analogies are helpful, but it is a bit of work to undo our bad habits, to stop slouching or tensing. And it might seem like too much for people who want to get better immediately. So I asked Esther, is a major challenge for the method offering a solution that might take weeks or months? So it's rarely months that people have to wait to feel better. Sometimes weeks, you know, but usually the improvements are right from the beginning, incrementally and quite rapid. So I would call this a pretty quick fix. It's not like swallowing a pill and it's not like lying on someone's table and being operated and, you know, so it's not that quick a fix, but it's a pretty quick fix. Dr. DJ Kennedy was a competitive weightlifter and strength coach prior to medical school. He knows a thing or two about getting results and he confirmed that a large number of his patients do tend to get fairly quick and positive results from the method. What I would say from all of my therapy-based techniques, the data is very consistent and that people that get better, get better fairly quickly. So physical therapy, six to eight visits, meaning you shouldn't need 30 visits. The Go Clay method, same thing. For the vast majority of people, if you do not notice improvement in a few weeks time frame. The given technique in isolation is probably not what is needed. It also helps that a lot of doctors and PTs are recommending the Go Clay method. That helps with credibility and also with compliance or, or just sticking with the plan. That is our most important referral source. We have been very conscientious about keeping the respect of the physicians by not overclaiming by not doing shrill marketing and promising the moon. And so we've succeeded, you know, and it starts in the localities where we have teachers, where physicians begin to hear from random patients that, hey, I tried this and this helped. The Go Clay Method has a network of teachers throughout the U.S. and a dozen countries. It's been based in Palo Alto since its inception. That's an area better known for disruption, 
but it has been receptive to this approach with a long tradition behind it. And so here in Palo Alto, where I've been busy for over three decades, we have over 500 physicians who have taken the course. Their families have taken the course. They have referred patients. I have been invited to train whole groups of physicians because physicians suffer just like everybody else, if not more, because they have to bend. You know, surgeons have a very tough job. It's encouraging when medicine accepts something from outside the mainstream that just works really well, as happened with, you know, acupuncture, meditation, Pilates. But I don't think we can say that that's yet happened for the gold clay method on the same scale. That is certainly true. There is this large network of teachers. There are doctors recommending it, but it's not yet covered by insurance. It's not yet standard med school material. However, there are two developments worth watching here. First off, There's an effort to create wearable technology to reinforce the method, and that's called the posture tracker. The bigger things are that we have invested in wearables, you know, in technology. So we have, for example, two sensors that go in a variety of pairs of location that then students learn to calibrate. You know, as they are sitting at their desk, if they start to slump, then they will hear from their app. They can either see or hear or feel a vibration to just reinforce what they know to be correct posture. So that's, that's that's, it's cool. And secondly, this tracking technology has triggered interest from Stanford University in conducting a longitudinal study of the method and its efficacy. And we've published research on that. That actually got the attention of the Stanford Chief of Physical Medicine and Rehab, who is the principal investigator on the randomized control trial coming up. Let's hope we can report on the results of that Stanford study and also test drive the posture tracker. So I'm not just hunched over my phone all day. But first, I need to work on my glide walking. And I need to work on that and hip hinging and stack sitting. I might need to take a hiatus here on the podcast. But here's the really interesting point. A relatively new approach to injury and limitation, a very new technology for avoiding pain. And they were inspired decades ago during Esther's childhood in India through the observations of her European mother. And we also traveled to all kinds of places in India, tribal cultures, village cultures, and she would always point out how the amazing part of that culture, you know, how physically capable they were. So that had made an early impression on me. Many thanks to Esther Gokhale for speaking with us and to the Gokhale Method team with help on resources. There are Gokhale Method teachers throughout the U.S. and other countries. More information at gokhalemethod.com. And Esther's book, Eight Steps to a Pain-Free Back, is highly recommended. There's a link to the book in our show notes and an excerpt in our latest newsletter on our website, mybodyodyssey.com. Many thanks as well to Dr. DJ Kennedy, Vanderbilt Medical School, for his expertise and his openness to anything that will help the many millions of us with back pain. Next up on My Body Odyssey, we'll be following up with Generational Gene, one year after our first episode. Gene's a super busy guy, a school superintendent, a doctoral student, 
a family man and avid cyclist who often says he's pedaling to save his life. With a family history of diabetes and cancer, Gene gets checked regularly, and he knows it's important to encourage loved ones to do the same. You know, I've also been able to tell other people, and it's good, I think, particularly for African-American men, something that, you know, is more prevalent, you know, in our community. And again, we talk about opportunity and access to resources, you know, you know, a lot of our health disparities are, you know, are, you know, related to societal inequality, right? And so we have to work a little bit harder to make sure that people have access an opportunity, but also like to advice and to kind of knowledge about it. We hope you'll join us for that episode. Tell a friend or two about My Body Odyssey and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We're always open to feedback here and suggestions. You can send those via our social media or through our website, mybodyodyssey.com. Thanks for listening. From the whole team here at My Body Odyssey, which is a Fluent Knowledge production, original music by Ryan Adair Rooney.